from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Star Joe's Podcast, episode 274, the Jeff Johns panel from Baltimore Comic Con. I'm your host, Ryan, and welcome back, everyone. Yes, I know it has been a very long time, and I'm sure everyone out there thought that Star Joe's pod faded, uh, which I said I would never do, and I will never do. Uh, Again, unless something horrible happens to me, which let's hope does not happen, um... I will always have a last episode for you guys. This is not the last episode. Don't worry. I'm still planning on getting us up to episode 300. Um, As anyone listening from earlier this year knows, uh, my family has just been through a lot uh, with with my wife and, and her mom passing away and stuff like that. And there's been a lot of issues and things going on since then. Um, I won't get into all the details, but... Um, we've just been dealing with a lot of family issues, uh, a lot of things going on that have been occupying, uh, my time and my energy, if nothing else. Like when I come to record, I want to be able to record and give real time here for you guys and real focus. And I just didn't have that in me. Um, I'm sure anyone that's gone through some tough times knows like you get done with your work day and you expend some energy into some of these other things that are going on in your life, and you kind of just don't have anything left. Like many a night, I've been falling asleep early or staying up late, but just don't have the energy for anything else. Uh, I just can't fall asleep, or you know, nights have been restless and whatnot. So, um, so I apologize that it's been so long. Uh, we are planning on doing another recording of Star Joe's very soon. Uh, where we're actually going to talk about Baltimore Comic Con and our adventures there. Uh, we'll probably talk on a few other things as well that have been happening since uh, uh, the last time we recorded, which was a long time ago. So, um, but yeah, uh, like I'm still in touch with you know uh, Chuck and John and Grub and, and and everyone that's been on the show. Like, um, and it really has been up to me 
uh, to get an uh, episode out and to, to record. They've all been, uh, uh, well, I mean, Chuck's been busy, but like John and, and Grub have been more than willing to come on to record at, uh, at points and at various points. And, uh, like I said, just, it's just been a lot. There's just been a lot of family things going on. And, um, I have been working on stuff with my comics. So that's when I did have some energy to do something, I was putting some energy into that. Certainly, even with that, not putting nearly as much energy into it as I, as I want to. Uh, but we do have issue three. It is written. Uh, Joel is drawing pages for it. He already has uh, the cover and a few pages of the issue drawn. Uh, we're probably going to do a Kickstarter in late January. Um, just because we don't want to do anything during the holidays. And I want enough build, time to build up to uh, the launch and kind of get a lot of supporters behind it. Um, and I've been selling stuff on eBay, reducing my collection, which I, I think is something I'd like to do as an episode in the future. It's kind of like transition of collection mentality and everything else uh, as you get older. And because uh, I think it's very relevant for me, it's re- very relevant for a lot of people that I know uh, that I have as friends and everything else. And like where their mindset is when it comes to collecting and stuff and how it changes as you get older. Um, I'm still a collector. I still enjoy all the stuff that I have and the stuff I talk about on here and everything. But um, just like I said, different mindsets. I think an episode on that would be probably pretty good. Um, But yeah, just uh, like I said, hopefully you'll be getting more episodes out in the near future. Uh, It'll probably take me through into next year to get up to episode 300, but I still plan on doing that. There'll probably be quite a few solo episodes where I'm just doing like some comic reviews and things like that, but those are always fun as well. So, um, so yeah, I wanted to give you a bit of an update on what's been going on for me without, like I said, without getting into too much detail, just because some of you might care, uh, and want to know and feel like, Hey, I've, I've gone through that type of stuff. It's good to know that I'm not the only one. But I also know, like, you're coming here for entertainment, and you're coming here to uh, for various reasons, and not all of them are like what's going on in Ryan's life. So, <laughs> um, but I'm still reading comics. Uh, if you're on the Facebook pages and stuff like that, you'll you'll see that I am still actively reading comics. I'm still actively trying to to do stuff to get my mind uh, as an escape from reality. So I'm eager to talk about those things uh, once I start doing episodes on a regular basis. Um, and uh, I'm keeping up with stuff like the Ahsoka show and, um, you know, stuff that's going on in Star Wars, stuff that's going on in G.I. Joe with the classified line and, and obviously the new launch of the new comics and everything that are coming out. So uh, I for sure, I think next week uh, is the new Transformers issues coming out. Uh, I probably will do an episode on that uh, with maybe some other stuff included. So it's not just an episode on just that issue, but uh, would like to spotlight some new launches like that. So, um, so yeah, a lot of things going on. Um, I'm reading Void Rivals. Uh, and for those that don't know, Void Rivals is the launch of the Energon universe, which is the new Skybound stuff that uh, Kirkman took over. And uh, that's what everyone is excited about. So uh, looking forward to all the stuff that he's planning on doing with that and the creative teams he's put together are amazing looking. So I'm excited about that. Um, I did get to go to Baltimore Comic-Con this year. Uh, it's been four years, this uh, almost four years since I've been there. Uh, so it, I, last time was 2019. 
2019, I believe. Uh, yeah, it would have been because then 2020 is when the pandemic hit and there weren't any conventions uh, going on uh, for probably like a couple years. And then I didn't return back until this year. And uh, like I said, we'll talk, we'll do a whole episode because uh, we'll have Grub on and very likely Kevin Longman and Mike Neville, who is, is a guy I work with. I think he's been on the show once before, once or twice before. Um, but we were all there and, uh, you know, we can talk about the show and everything and, uh, what our experience was like. Uh, it was my first time meeting Kevin, uh, in person. Kevin Longman has been on the show before. Uh, so you might recognize the name for that. Been a long time listener and, uh, I've always, you know, communicated with him, you know, through Facebook and through, and then we start, we would, uh, on occasion talk on the phone or text message and stuff like that. So he's become a really good friend. He lives up in Canada, uh, up near Edmonton, I believe, if I remember right. Kevin, you could correct me if I'm wrong. Um, my mind's a little hazy at the moment, but, uh, never had a chance to meet in person. So I've seen him on, we did a Zoom call episode uh, not that long ago, uh, well, maybe about a year or two ago, but we did a Zoom call episode and got to see him then and got to talk to him then, but we never met in person. So it was really awesome to get to meet him in person and actually hang out with him for a weekend. Um, and then, you know, typical got to hang out with Grub and Mike and Sam, uh, who have all been on the show at one point or another. And Grub, obviously you guys know, has been on the show quite a bit as a co-host. So, so yeah, it was a good weekend. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it more kind of like what our own individual experiences were like, cause we did separate. I was kind of like divide and conquer. Uh, like we always got back together and everything else, but, uh, to hang out, but there was definitely like, we all had our own missions of things we wanted to do. So I'm looking forward to actually hearing, we talked some while we were at the show, like after the show and everything else, but I'm looking forward to hearing some of the stories of like things that went on for everybody else. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's about everything, but I did go to the Jeff Johns panel. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Jeff Johns is a huge, uh, favorite of mine as far as a writer. Um, I used to say Mark Wade was my favorite writer and he's still like way up there. But when I started looking at my collection and, and the titles that have been important to me over the years, um, and that have had like the most impact, the ones I remember most fondly and everything else, they've been Jeff Johns titles. Um, and when I started looking at stuff I wanted to have him sign, I was absolutely floored at the amount of stuff that I have that he's written and didn't, and didn't totally remember, um, that he wrote them. So like there was, there were things that I had signed and I, I took a bunch of like absolute editions and hardcovers for him to sign. Um, cause that's just my personal preference. And again, we'll talk about this when we get into the, the episode in the future about, uh, about our trip to Baltimore comic-con and everything. But, um, I'm just someone, I, I'm not big on single issues being signed anymore. I, I did, I, I was, and I still did bring some single issues for some people to sign because that's what I had. And I had like other signatures on some of them. So it made sense. Um, but nowadays I'm like, I'd rather the autograph be on like a nice hardcover edition of something that I really love. And so that when I open it, I see it and, uh, and it's protected and cause single issues when they're signed, like I don't want to just put them in a short box. I want to kind of like frame them and hang them up. And it's like, you only have so much room for doing that. So, um, but like when I went to Baltimore comic con in the past, I had Jim Lee sign my 
first issue of Hush. Uh, you know, so there's there's exceptions to that rule, but most of the time I'm looking to have hardcovers, especially if it's a nice special hardcover, like a, like I said, Absolute Edition or something like that. Um, I have had omnibus editions signed, um, but those are so heavy. I didn't really. I brought like a couple with me, but didn't. I don't think I had any of them signed because I just didn't want to lug them around. I was already like my backpack was already heavy, and I did a lot of trips to the car to swap things out and everything. So, but when it came to Jeff Johns, uh, I like I said I noticed like oh my god, like there's all these stories that I absolutely love that he did. Um, and you can agree or disagree on the on the ones that I love because you, maybe you don't don't like them, but like the stuff I had him sign when I compared it to like what I still had, like there were so many things I still could have him sign that I would have been like that would have been awesome to have signed, but um, but it cost to have him sign stuff, and I was like it can only only wanted to spend so much, so um, I uh, had him sign my absolute edition, of course of. Green Lantern Rebirth and uh, Green Lantern Sinestro Core War Absolute Edition, Absolute Edition of Blackest Night. Um, so those those three were like must since I'm such a huge Green Lantern fan. Um, I had him sign my Absolute Edition of Flashpoint, my Absolute Edition of Final Crisis, not Final Crisis, Infinite Crisis. Um, Infinite Crisis was one I forgot that he wrote, uh, even though I knew at the time he wrote it. Um, I just kind of forgot. I was like, oh, yeah, he he's the one that wrote that one, and it's a fantastic story. Um, I wish that there was, like, an Absolute Edition or an Omnibus Edition or just a nice hardcover edition of Day of Judgment, because I have that in trade, and that's really the first thing that I ever read where I paid attention that Jeff Johns wrote it. Um, so, And it's a great story, especially if you're a Hal Jordan fan, and it leads into stuff that happens later that he did with Rebirth, because... Day of Judgment is they need a new host for the Spectre, and because uh, the Spectre is just you know is just unleashed, they doesn't isn't being reined in or anything like that, and so they you know the hell it's like hell on earth basically, and the there's a bunch of DC characters that travel to Limbo and travel to hell and things like that to find a new host. They're looking of course for Jim Corrigan and stuff like that. It is like 20-some years old. Uh, I think it's like 20-some years old. Um, they end up finding Hal Jordan. Like, Jim Corrigan refuses. He's like, I did my time and everything. Hal Jordan. And Hal Jordan accepts, and he becomes a specter for a while. And there's some great stories. There was a whole series not done by Jeff Johns. I think it was Milligan, uh, Peter Milligan, that did it. Don't quote me on that. But there was a whole series of Hal Jordan being the Spectre. And I think it went for like 20-some issues or somewhere around there. Um, I have the full run. They have never collected that. Which, like, I wish that they would collect that in an Omnibus Edition or even just in trades. Like, I would love a hardcover collection or, like I said, um, one-time Omnibus Edition of it. Um, but I don't know if they feel... God, I would, I would just love at least trades. Like, I went and looked to see, did they ever do trades of this? And I couldn't find them anywhere. So... Um, so yeah, if they're, if they could just collect that, that'd be fantastic. But like I said, I've, I've held on to the issues for it because it, you know, obviously long out of print and have never been collected. So, um, I want those stories. Um, and then, uh, I had him sign, uh, Dark Side War, uh, hardcover. It was Justice League Dark Side War volumes one and two. 
so I had both of those signed. They're nice, regular-sized hardcover editions. Again, something I would love to see, like an Absolute Edition or uh, a Deluxe hardcover, because uh, there's a lot of Jason Fabok art in there. So you got Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok interior art, which Fabok doesn't do a ton of interior art anymore. Um, he does a lot of variant covers and things like that. Um, so it's not often you're seeing Fabok's art. So that I would love to see uh, a deluxe hardcover collecting it all into one volume, or like I said, an absolute edition would be amazing. Um, but I got the two volumes of that signed. I had Doomsday Clock volume one and two signed. I have the hardcovers with this, the, they're just like, again, somewhat normal size hardcovers. Um, but what they come in, uh, they have a slip case. So I have that. Um, I had those signed. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was anything else I had signed for me. I think that may have been it. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but I had like 11 things signed. And, uh, again, it was one of those things like I might never get this opportunity again. So, uh, but when I looked at stuff like I, I brought with me one other thing to potentially get signed. Um, but there was a reason I didn't, and I can talk about that in the future. Um, but it was, uh, flash rebirth, uh, which I, I really like a lot as well. So, um, but it was just a reg again, a regular hardcover, edition, not like a deluxe hardcover or an absolute or anything like that. But I was looking at my collection. I'm like, oh my God, I could have him sign the 52 omnibus. I could have him sign. I have the, uh, several issues, several volumes of like uh, really his whole run on Aquaman of the new 52 because I love that. And I had a hardcover of that. I have the new 52 justice league in hardcover. And like he did, you know, a lot of volumes of that. Um, so there was a lot of things like still of hardcover and that's, so that's not even tapping into individual issues, tapping into trades that I have of stuff that he did. Um, like I said, I could have brought my trade of day of judgment to have him sign. But, uh, again, like it's one of those things, like if they ever do like a nicer version of it, I, I want that and I would probably get rid of the trade and then I'm getting rid of the autograph. So, uh, I don't want to do that, but yeah, so, um, Went to Baltimore, kind of set the scene here for you. Went to Baltimore, uh, went to the panel for Jeff Johns, which you're going to hear in a little bit. And he, I sat right up front with my buddy Mike. And we we sat up front because I, I thought the autograph session was going to happen there at the location. And it didn't. <laughs> so we thought, I thought, okay, we'll be right up front for when they do the autographs and also we'll have a front row seat so I can try to record this. Like, I honestly didn't think about trying to record it until I got there. Um, and which is unusual because usually I think like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll record the session. And I had my portable recorder with me in my luggage, but in case there was a recording opportunity to do a show while we were out there, but I didn't um, think of bringing it with me to the convention. Well, in the past, I did an episode, I released an episode on here where it was, um, I think it was Jerry Siegel's daughter did a talk at uh, a library here in the Cleveland area. And I recorded just using memo on my phone and recorded that and was able to transfer it onto the computer and then uh, converted it to an MP3 and then was able to put it out there for you guys to listen to. And that seemed to work pretty well. And with me sitting so close to Jeff Johns and uh, the interviewer, I was like, well, let me give this a try. 
So I recorded it. There's because we're sitting so close and the speakers are right there. Um, they're not far away. There are times Jeff like kind of mumbles a little bit or talks low tone and it's a little tough to hear. It sounds mumbly. Um, we could hear him clearly there, what he was talking about and everything else, but I, I think you'll be able to hear everything perfectly fine. So, uh, I listened to most of it already and was like, okay, this sounds good and you know, good quality where you guys will be able to hear what he's talking about. A uh, couple things to note. So then, so we did the panel. Uh, you'll hear it's like 45, 50 minutes long, um, maybe almost an hour long. And then afterwards, you're supposed to, you were, I thought, again, I thought signings would be right there. But no, in reality, the signings were you go down to a different level and he's going to be in a different room just for the signing. And I was like, you got to be freaking kidding me. So we're up front. So we had to like hurry because everyone in the back of the panel was able to get in line earlier uh, if they hustled. So we tried to hustle past most of them, but I'm also carrying a bunch of books, heavy books with me and uh, Mike is helping me uh, so we can get there quickly. But there were people that skipped the panel and just got in line. So there was a whole line of people there before we even got down there because they were just like, I don't know how they knew that, okay, the signing's going to happen here. I'm sure maybe they asked in advance. I didn't. I was just like, oh, okay. I just found out where the panel was, and that's all I was concerned about. So lesson learned for me. But they went. They just went to the line. Now, had I known that that was happening, I would still not have skipped doing the panel just to get in line. Uh, but we were in line for a good, like, three hours uh, before we finally met him and got things signed. So when you add the panel... And then you add the waiting in line to get stuff signed. We're talking like four hours of my day on of my day and Michael's day on Saturday. And I felt worse for, for Michael, my friend Michael, because he wasn't getting anything signed. I, he did get a, a signed print and a signed Ashcan edition of Guy, a new Geiger title that's coming out. But uh, so I was glad he got that and he got like a little, little badge thing and everything else. Um, but I'm, extremely grateful he helped me out and it was fun hanging out with him during the day but i was like i didn't realize it was going to take up like four hours of his time i thought it'd be like okay our panel 45 minute to an hour long panel and we might have to wait like maybe an hour total but yeah it was a really really long line but again for me it was one of those things like i don't know when i'm going to get this chance again i don't know if i'll ever get to meet jeff johns again and i need i need to get these things signed um just because it's important for me to meet him I did give him a copy of Stealth Hammer, uh, issues one and two. Uh, I related Stealth Hammer character to Stargirl a bit because there is some truth to that. Like, my character's dealing with legacy. Stargirl was dealing with legacy um, of being a hero and everything else. Uh, I did strategically put my business card in there uh, when I gave that to him. So, I, it's a billion and one chance that he would read it, and it's a even another billion and one chance that he would even like like it and enough that he would want to contact me on the business card. But you have to take those chances. And I was just like, you know, I gave it to him. He didn't know the business card was in there, of course, but like it's in there. If he likes, if he does actually read it and he does actually like it and he has, and he has pull at DC, you know, someone could contact me, but I'm not holding my breath. I know that that is, Super unlikely, but again, we even talked about it at the show. Like, 
you have to take those chances. You have to be like here and give it out to somebody that could have some influence, have some impact. Um, and just hope that maybe one day they'll contact you. Like it could be six months from now. It could be two years from now. And also I get like an email, uh, from Jeff Johns himself or someone at DC saying, Hey, Jeff was, you know, read your comic, really liked it. You know, wondered if you want to do a short story or something. We have an anthology coming up and we need a writer. Um, like that's the type of stuff I'm hoping for. I'm not hoping that DC goes, Hey, we'd like to, we'd like you to write a stealth hammer series. I don't expect that to happen. Um, I, but I would love it if like he read what I wrote, liked it enough that he was just like, passed it along to someone, passed my contact information along to someone and said like, Hey, let's, let's give, here's a writer we can give a chance to, to you know, and like I said, I know they do anthology sometimes and, or a lot of times, and sometimes they'll like have, they'll bring a new writer on to those anthologies to do a short story or something like that. And I've got some ready. And if they gave me a character, I can, I can come up with something. So, uh, I would all be, be all in favor of that to just get that chance, that foot in the door that hopefully would lead to more. Um, but yeah, so that was my experience with Jeff John's panel. Um, you'll hear a couple things I wanted to prep you for, and I know I've already been talking for like 20 some minutes, but, um, but you guys have been without an episode for a while. So, <laughs> so I'm really trying to paint the picture as best as I can for you as far as everything going on. So, I know that just recently there, uh, it looks like the writer strike is going to end, which I'm I'm super happy about. Um, I totally supported the writer strike, uh, and I supported them a hundred percent for how long or however long it it would take. Um, because I think it's unfair that like these huge companies are making tons of money and the people that are helping to create the material where they're making tons of money are not getting a fair pay for the stuff that they're doing. Um, and the things that the studios want to do to even reduce more costs for themselves, it's, it's ridiculous. So, um, so yeah. And, and obviously one day, who knows, I hope to be someone that's maybe writing for a TV show or a movie or something like that. So, uh, I do, again, don't know if that'll ever happen, but it's, it's certainly on the bucket list of things that I, you know, the, the I shouldn't say the bucket list, but the, the dream list, the things that you hope will maybe one day happen. Uh, if you put enough time and effort into things. So I, um, so when this was happening, there's a reason that I mentioned the, the writer strike is Jeff Johns showed, uh, a trailer or like a teaser type thing. Uh, he even mentions like kind of pre visual, uh, visualization. Um, but it's, uh, preliminary work for Geiger, uh, which is, if you don't know, Geiger is his, self, uh, his self-published, not self-published, he's publishing it through, uh, through image, but it's his creator owned. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, creator owned title and is his own universe that he's done. So he, had, he's worked with Gary Frank on it, uh, with, for it and everything else and a few other creators, but he did a Geiger's miniseries. Then he did a, there was a 80 page giant, uh, that kind of delved into some of the other characters in Geiger and then he did uh, a Junkyard Joe miniseries, which Junkyard Joe is another character out of the Geiger universe, uh, which was really good. And then he's doing, I think it's a, I think it's a two issue, it might be a one shot, but I think it's two issues of another Geiger story. And that's what the Ashcan was, uh, was for that new story that's coming out. I think it's coming out in November. And he 
uh, it looks like they're doing a TV show or a movie. I, and I don't know if it's going to be like in theaters, if it's coming to Netflix or what it's coming to, because he couldn't talk about it. He showed it. And then he just, he's like, I can't, unfortunately I can't talk about it with the writer strike. So I can't tell you more about it as much as I would want to. So, um, so yeah, he, it's just cause he's supporting his fellow writers, which he is obviously one of them. Uh, cause he writes for movies and TV and everything else. But yeah, so I totally understand that, but just wanted to let you know, it looked really cool. Uh, even though it was like early renditions of stuff, it still was like done well enough that you're like, okay, this is cool. I shortened up the teaser. So you just hear a little bit of the music and the, and the action. There really wasn't any dialogue in what he showed. It did go longer than what I have in the episode here, but I didn't want you just like listening to sound. Uh, for for that when you can't see what's going on because again it's not like there was characters talking to each other that would have been helpful for you or something like that so I just gave you a few seconds so you'd hear a little bit of the music and some of the action sounds and everything else so sh- I, I shortened that down there for you so that's what that's what you hear near the beginning of the uh, of the panel uh, is that he has something related to Geiger coming out in the future it's probably still like two, you know, a year to two years away. Um, and I don't, again, I don't know what it is as of yet. I'm sure we'll get more as it goes on. Uh, but that was really cool to see, uh, that his own creator own thing is being made into something. Um, and then, uh, near the middle of the panel, they start doing questions and answers. And I actually got to ask one of the um, I got to ask, I think it was, I was the second question. So I taught, I told him, you know, how much I appreciate what he did for Green Lantern. And then I asked him a question about, um, three jokers. So that was another thing I had signed. I had an absolute edition of three jokers signed, which he did a fantastic little sketch of Batman in the inside of that. So he would draw like little symbols of the characters that it was, that his story was based on. And then he would sign his name, uh, which was really cool. Uh, so I'd have like a little Green Lantern symbol or a little Flash symbol or something like that. But for Batman, he actually drew a little Batman. And for being a writer, it was really good. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so I asked him a question. So you hear, you'll hear my voice in this. I was like, okay, I have a question. And I didn't go there just to be like, oh, I'll, like, because again, I didn't even know I was going to record it. I didn't want it to be like, oh, I'm going to go ask a question. So it's on the episode instead of me asking a question. I legitimately was very curious and I was like, okay, I'm going to go ask this question. So, um, so you'll hear me later in the, in the panel as well. So that's everything. Uh, I'm going to turn things over to the panel at Baltimore Comic-Con. And then, like I said, we will be back soon with another episode where we'll talk about our adventures at Baltimore Comic-Con outside of the Jeff Johns panel. And, um, and then, yeah, and then hopefully there'll be some more episodes. Like I said, I want to talk about Transformers, number one, when that comes out. I'll probably talk a bit about Void Rivals. Uh, and my, my thoughts with those issues, maybe when, when I cover transformers. So, uh, with that, I'll go ahead and turn things over and, uh, to the rest of the panel. Hello. Oh, that was okay. But let's, hello, Baltimore. Woo! There we go. There we go. Coffee just kicked in. I feel like it's still early, even though it's 12 o'clock. It's just <laughs> still early for a con. Yeah, it's, uh, it is. Uh, thanks everybody for spending some time with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm Jeff. Jeff, Jeff Jones. You may have heard of him. 
I just called him up and I said, I'm looking for an internship. And the guy that answered the phone was like, um, didn't want to talk to me, some kid, transferred me, somebody else picked up the phone. I said, I'm looking for an internship and somebody else picked up the phone. And finally, uh, I heard this big deep voice go, hello. And I was like, um, hey, I'm looking for an internship. And, and he just yelled at everybody, hey, someone get this kid an internship. I started the next day. Um, fetching coffee and like, you know, salsa and like, whatever they wanted me to do, copy scripts on a copier. Um, and I, I remember the first day I actually wore a Hulk tie, like I had a Hulk tie and I wore it. Uh, no one else wore a tie ever, and like, I've never seen a tie, I don't think, in Los Angeles. So I didn't wear a tie after that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, got, I was very lucky, and I was lucky because uh, uh, I got to eventually work for the company as a production assistant and then became Dick's assistant and uh, worked on a few movies with him. Um, and he became my mentor, and I got to write Superman comics with him later on, and he just passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, but an amazing director, but even more amazing human being. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we're glad he picked up. I bet he's glad he picked up, too. <laughs> I'm glad he did. <laughs> so, but then you went back to New York, and you um, kind of met a few people and, like, rekindled your love for comics. Yeah, I was shooting a movie called Conspiracy Theory in New York City. I'm working with Dick. Uh, it's the first film set I've ever been on. And I uh, met some people from DC Comics. And um, met Phil Ammonize back then, a couple other editors, a guy named Chuck Kim, um, who eventually became my editor on Stars and Strike. I just talked about, they would ask me questions about the movie set, and I was just talking about comic books. I'm like, when did Zero Hour, what are you guys doing with Zero Hour, and blah, blah, this and that, what's in continuity? And they said, you really like comics? I'm like, well, yeah, I do. Uh, and then I just pitched them um, Stars and Strike. Uh, I'd become friends with James Robinson, talked about it, pitched Stars, Stars and Strike. But originally it was going to be a miniseries, actually. It's going to be like four issues, and then, um, I forget what happened, they just said, let's make it a monthly book, and so we did. That's great. That's so I thought comics were going to be on part-time. <laughs> so, you thought wrong. <laughs> well, they kind of are now, so again, because yeah. you know, you're like all big time. Um, so, <laughs> you grew up in Michigan, so when you started writing Flash, has anybody read Flash? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought. This guy, this guy's like, look at the shirt. Um, you you kind of made Keystone City into Detroit. Yeah. So, um, like, tell us a little bit about like your approach to creating that and and writing the the Flash when you began. Um, it was really you know I got uh, a call from the editor named Joey Cavallari who offered me a run on the Flash. It was after Mark Wade's run, so I guess they thought you like writer after writer after no one would take the book over. And in the wake of Mark, which I understand, because um, of the, the, the you know, amazing run. Um, but I eventually landed with me, and they asked me to do six issues um, with an artist named Jones Weta, which I did. And when I turned my first script in, they said, hey, do you want to stay on the book after these six and work with artist Scott Collins, who I worked with on Stars and Stripes? I love Scott. And so Scott and I got together, I flew up to Oakland where he lived from LA and we started talking about the book and I had drawn a map of Keystone City and said like I really want to make Keystone City into a blue collar city. I didn't think there was any, most of the cities in, in, in DC were like super, like Metropolis really nice or Gotham like really not nice and I wanted to make a city where you felt that people were, you know, working and it was a blue collar city and there was car factories and I felt like a city 
that had things that were in motion that made, you know, built cars. It just felt like a, a great city for the Flash to be in because I always felt he was such a grounded character. He always had feet on the ground, literally, and he was always relatable and a human being who was struck by lightning. I just felt um, really connected to that character. And I wanted to give Keystone City a personality, and so Detroit seemed like a great kind of analog. And then, of course, it's heightened with the robes. And I love the robes, too, because the robes are like blue-collar street thugs. Like, they're not trying to take over the world. Like, they're just, like, there's literally a story we, I, I did with Scott where, like, Captain Cole just, he runs out of beer and he goes down the street to buy a six pack and they think he's holding the place up and it becomes a whole thing. But I just like the grounded nature of the Flash and those characters. Even though we can travel through time or to different worlds, there's just still something so inherently relatable about the character that I love. And so just expanding that to the city, to his villains, to everything, to just make it as as fantastic as it, as it, as it is and, and was when we were working on it, make it as grounded as we could. Yeah, because it becomes relatable. And so when, when we read it, we're like, oh, I, I can feel this. It's, I don't know what it's like to be like Green Lantern. I mean, he does, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah they do. So speaking of Green Lantern, um, your Green Lantern rebirth made me fall in love with Hal Jordan all over again. Thanks. So, uh, and Green Lantern fans out there? Yeah. You're taking these characters and you're like, like really breathing life into them. So when you, you know, you're, but you're giving a lot of, getting a lot of responsibility because, you know, like taking control of these. So what was that like, like the responsibility of caretaking for these characters? Well, it's a huge responsibility, but I, I also have always preferred the characters that nobody wants to do. I love every DC character. I love every Marvel character. I love the obscure characters in the background. Um, so I always was much more interested in, except for Superman, because he's so, see, Superman, like, he's awesome. Um, I, but I always like the characters in the background, like, I like the Booster Golds and, you know, the Captain Colds, and, and by, and when I got on Green Lantern, Green Lantern was not doing very well. It was like one, I think, there was only one Green Lantern, the core was killed, um, so I always, it was responsibility, but at the same time, a lot of the times, like Justice Society of America or Hawkman or, any of these books are characters that are Aquaman, that people, or Shazam, I mean, I could probably listen for a while, that, that people just thought weren't popular. Like, I would have so many people, like, why are you writing Mr. Gold? Why are you writing Teen Titans? Why are you writing Green Lantern? They're, they're like dead characters. And so there was a responsibility, but not, not in the way maybe you, you, you inferred. It's, it's, it wasn't like, hey, this character's huge, you gotta make sure you keep it that way. It was more like, I felt a responsibility to the character because I felt they had been neglected so long. Like, Booster Gold's a great character. Um, so they're like, are you gonna write Aquaman instead of Batman? I was like, yes, I am. I'm, I love Aquaman. Like, let's make, try and make him as, you know, as cool as we can, make the book as cool as we can, and add characters to it. So Green Lantern was that, but it was really the first time that, for me, I felt like um, I unlocked something in a very personal way. I, I write from a very personal point of view. Stargirl, I obviously created, everyone probably knows this by now, my sister passed away, I created a character named it after Courtney, and uh, it was a very personal story for me. Writing, running the show was personal, personal to me too, but with Green Lantern, it was all about, like at first exploring fear, because I find fear so fascinating, because 
fear is so powerful, but you can't quantify it. You can't measure. If someone says, I'm afraid, you can't really say, well, how much are you afraid? Like, you're kind of like, it's like that doctor's pain scale, like one to 10, like how fearful are you? But you can't put it in a jar, you can't like harness it, you can't, but fear is so powerful. It makes us, it's such a powerful emotion in humanity and, and something we have to overcome and process and recognize. And so to turn it into a tangible power, like it, it, the, the Green Lantern technology actually is able to quantify and capture fear so that I always thought like the, the batteries that the Guardians constructed would take the fear of a world, like Earth, fear for a whole day and collect it and it would be focused on into one spark, one little spark of yellow energy. That's how much, how much power that is. So that when Sinestro was wielding that power, the Sinestro Corps was that that fear actually manifested in an external threat and, and you saw it and you, you're exploring fear through that. And then once Hal Jordan faced fear, you know, we all get angry. There's not a person in this room that's never felt anger. Or there's never probably been anger, angry at the wrong thing or the wrong person. Blaming or, you know, casting it out to somebody that doesn't deserve it. And so what is anger? What is rage? Like, I want to explore that through Hal Jordan and Green Lantern and, and look at rage and where does rage come from and how it can complete with the Red Lanterns, it completely blind you from logic. You know, and um, and to recognize that we all get angry, it's okay to get angry because it's just truth. Like we all, but if we recognize that we're angry and we know that we're projecting it, or we know that we're 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 in that moment, we can actually we can actually kind of learn from it, be more self-aware of our emotions, and then ultimately explore. We went to things like love and hope. Like hope is so powerful. I always tell people, if you don't have hope, well, I don't know what you're doing in life. Like you're just. You gotta hope for hope for things, otherwise that's not gonna motivate you to do anything. You gotta believe in hope. And then ultimately Green Lantern became about exploring things, even exploring the ridiculousness of greed, of like stuff. You know, my comic collection is very big. I'm sure you guys have a lot of stuff. I don't think there's anything downstairs that if you didn't have you would die, right? Um, and and I found exploring greed largely of, of you know the, the orange lanterns, which is I find so funny find the humor in all this stuff too, is that we are collectors. It's like, why do we want stuff and totems that, you know, and things like that? I still buy comics. I just bought a bunch downstairs. <laughs> but it's it's like if we recognize again, you know, the reality of what we're feeling and what motivates us and all that stuff. That's what Green Lantern ultimately was. And ultimately it led to Blackest Night, which was to me, every different emotional, you know, a facet of humanity, of being alive and represented, coming together to fight death because it was a life versus death, because emotion is life and we're all these emotions. And Hal Jordan, I, I wanted him to go through a crucible of sorts, through all these different emotions, wear all the rings, recognize what these emotions can do to yourself so you become more self-aware, choose will ultimately, um, and, and, and live. Right, and and I think if I think if we're all a little, for me, Green Lantern was a huge exploration of emotional self-awareness, ultimately. But then dressed up as Star Wars and like Lord of the Rings and all that great, like all that cool stuff that Ivan Reese would draw, like you'd see these giant spreads, like Superboy Prime fighting Green Lanterns and stuff, which was cool. But um, but to really explore something that was personal and was, you know, same with Flashpoint. Flashpoint, I lost my sister. 
And with, with Barry Allen, I, I wanted to, like, if I could go back in time and shit, like, you get kind of obsessed with, if I could only go back in time, and I'm sure a lot of people in here have unfortunately lost somebody very close to them, and you just wish you could go back in time, and ultimately you can't. And that story was all about what grief can do to people. So if you looked at Thomas Wayne, he's not just an older Batman. He's a man who, it's not a boy who saw his parents get killed, it's a, it's a father who saw his son die, get killed. And that's a very different kind of grief. That's gonna, I saw my dad react to my sister. That's just a very different kind of grief than seeing your parents killed. And so I wanted to explore grief in that way. So Flashpoint was an exploration of grief and Barry Allen's grief infected the whole DC universe. And ultimately he had to accept that his mom was dead and move on. And it doesn't mean that you're forgetting about them. It doesn't mean that you're okay with it, but it's just how you have to live. There's no other choice we have. So I wanted to reflect in that and that. But anyway, I'm talking for a long time. Green Lantern. Green Lantern was really fun to work on. We're here to hear you talk. <laughs> I just want to say, like, every, to me, every, you know, my dad's Lebanese, my mom's, like, from Ohio. Couldn't be more different. They're great together. Um, but even with Aquaman, I was like, oh, different cultures. Like, I've got my Lebanese half of my family, and I've got my Ohioan half of my family. And that, go by me. I'm from Michigan State, so I can't totally say go by <laughs> But I like, go, go, go on. But I like the, uh, I do like the Buckeye candy from Ohio. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but, but anyway, like, so Aquaman was even exploring just two halves of somebody. Right, and, and bringing those halves together, and but just doing it in a much cooler way than with Atlantis and, and the Earth and the surface. Um, but every story I do, I, I have an emotional kind of core to it. Like I have an emotional hook to it. With Geiger, it was um, becoming a father, having a son. You know, it, it was like, what's what's that? Like, what would you do to protect your family? Would you become a monster to protect your family? I think a lot of people in here would. You know, and then put like cool, like, you know, nuclear war, war and, and radioactive powers on top of it. But, um, but anyway, uh, everything comes from a personal place. As epic as it gets, yeah. I always try and have that. What, what am I really writing about? Um, that's going to resonate emotionally. Because if it doesn't resonate emotionally, it's just cool pictures. That's, yeah. Well, I think that's why so many people can relate to your books because you know, we can feel it. It's like we felt that emotion. We've been through this. This person's been through this. So, uh, let's talk about Geiger uh, a minute. Geiger, if you have not picked up Geiger, you should. Um, it was with Gary Frank, and it's amazing. Uh, so, what was it like doing, going from, or, uh, what kind of is the difference creating your own material, your own books, and like playing in your own toolbox, your own sandbox? Well, it's really, I mean, it's super fun. I feel like with a lot of DC stuff, Green Lantern to me started to feel like that because there's so much new stuff there when I was working on it, but ultimately it was still going to continue and be, you know, they're going to do all these books and whatever. Um, Stargirl was very personal and in another way, but DC still owns the character and it's tied to just, she's tied to the Justice Society. With Geiger, Gary Frank and I had just finished, we'd done Superman. I mean, I worked with him way back on Avengers, then Superman, then Batman, Earth One, Shazam. Doomsday Clock, and you know Gary, he's in Italy, and he likes superheroes, but he's not only about superheroes. And we were talking, and he just said, "Yeah, I want to do something new, something different." 
Um, and I've been talking to Eric Stevenson at Image, who I absolutely love for years about doing something there. I love the legacy of Image Comics, like Spawn, Savage Dragon, like Wildcat. Like I remember going to the store and buying all those. I I don't think there's a there's not a more iconic um, symbol than that Image Eye for creator-owned books um, and rights, which I, I find even more and more important every day. Um, and uh, and so going there with absolute freedom was great, but it was more about Gary and I honing on, okay, what kind of story do we want, we want to tell? What kind of character do we want to create? And I, I it was all about characters, because I like characters. Like, guy, you're a character at the center of this. Like, my favorite comics are always character. The title is the character. So we want to create something like Geiger and um, explore something new and different and explore, like, again, the idea of in this crazy world, which we all live in, how do you protect your family and what do you have to do to do it? And what would you be willing to do to do it? And do you lose yourself too much? You have to remember what it's all about. And that story's, you know, like that. We call it an atomic western because there's a lot of western tropes in it. Um, but it was super fun. We were working on it. The next one comes out in November, Geiger Ground Zero, which explores his early days. Um, you know, he's a, he's a family man who's, uh, he's got bone cancer when, um, and he's got a wife and two children and ultimately there's a nuclear war and his family is put in a fallout shelter that he is unable to go in and he's caught in the radioactive fallout and he's transformed into this this living radioactive man who can walk in the toxic wastelands and he just protects the fallout shelter from scavengers all day long and he can't see his family and he can't communicate with them beyond some Morse code um, and it kind of it goes from there it's it's amazing I love it love it I mean Gary Frank's artwork if you guys don't know Gary Frank's artwork um, you should need to seek it out I think he's one of the best artists that's ever been in comics absolutely we are going to take some questions we have a microphone up here so you can line up here and we'll take questions here in a little bit but please remember not about movies and TV. Uh, I wanted to kind of circle back to Richard Donner. So when you wrote with him, and you got to write two different comics, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. What was, I mean, how cool was that? I was, I mean, it was amazing. It was super intimidating <laughs> to talk to the director of Superman, be like, hey, I was thinking Superman should do this. And you're like, is it, you know, what you say? But he's so nice, he's so good to work with. And it was all about emotion. You know, I wanted to explore um, you know, the story we did was all about, you know, a, a rocket showing up and, it, and it, there's a child in it. And so like his parents, he found a rocket with a kid in it. What would he do? And this child seemingly had no home and no place to go. And, and it, it, you know, it, it explored kind of, it explored Superman facing what his mother, mom probably can't face. Um, and then Dick and I just talked about like, General Zod has not been used in the comics like, like ever. Like he'd been scrapped here and there. And so, we brought him in to make him a major kind of character. That you're so fun. Okay. What is a character that you have not written that you would like to write? <laughs> Are From DC or Marvel or anywhere? <laughs> From anywhere. Oh my gosh, there's so many. Uh, what are some characters? Yeah, the Hulk, I mean, the Hulk is probably my holy grail of a character someday. Like, I love to write the Hulk. Um, Gary Frank loves the Hulk, too. Um, I've been looking for Hulk number two down on the floor. Um, 
Holtz one because again, I just I grew up with the character. I love the character. Gary, Gary and I have talked a lot about it. I actually have a whole story written for it, but um, I don't know. If, I don't know when or if we'll get to it. Um, but other characters I love, like uh, love I love the Outsiders at DC, like the original Outsiders, because of Metamorpho probably <laughs> and Black Lightning. I love those two characters, like Katana. Um, Three uh, people. <laughs> well, I like the obscure. I told you guys, I really do like the obscure. Um, I love the metal man, um, but like other characters that I haven't really written, Spider Man would be a lot of fun. Um, I've never written him. And the the X Men are kind of like I think everyone loves the X Men. Like Wolverine and Colossus are probably my favorite X Men. What would you do with Wolverine and Colossus? What well, if I do it, I'm not telling you in case I do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Those are a few. Like, but, you know, oh, not Spawn. I love Spawn. Yeah. I just, I, I grew up with Spawn. I've always loved Spawn. And, like, doing something. I, we had Spawn on one of the Geiger covers, and I was like, oh my God, this is like my, you know, 14 year old self would have, my brain would have exploded um, if I knew that that was going to happen. So, how, you know, comics, so, nerds like us, like those people in here, or like kind of like when, when we were growing up, or you know, made fun of and everything. And so like this fandom has really become more mainstream now. So are you surprised that these characters that that you're writing in the books and your your flash Blackest Night, Brightest Day, which is brilliant. The rings are brilliant. Oh my gosh. Just I'm like, why has nobody done this before? This is like well, because I think on the surface, you're like, a blue lantern. Like, I remember when I said, hey, I got an idea for blue lantern. Sorry, Jeff. It's just blue. Like, and so it's like, well, no, it's got to be about something. Um, so, I mean, how, how have you seen that change um, come over from, like, being on the outside to, like, being, like, everybody knows well, these characters? I think, I mean, for, well, there's two things for me. Um, growing up in Michigan, there weren't really huge comic conventions. And when there were, like, you, you know, you went, you bought comics and you left, you didn't really hang out. Um, and, uh, and there wasn't like social media where you could meet other people that like comics. So I met my best friend. I was like, I was on a bus to school and there was this kid reading a comic book and usually you would not do that kind of thing on a bus, school bus. But I was like, Oh my God. And I said, do you read comics? And he said, yeah. And he became my best friend. And we just read comics and we go to the store. It was like, I actually had a flea market. We go flea market every Friday after school and get comic books, and um, and so it became a big connect connection to anyone I would meet. That they read comics, I didn't care what you read. Could read Dark Horse, Marvel, DC, Image, and whatever you read. I just became friends with them because you shared that interest. And I think what's helped is that we're connected more and more, so you can find people that share your same interests. Whereas when we were growing up, the Way back in the day, before computers existed. Back in our day. Um, I know more and more, like I sound like an old man. Um, but way back in the day, there weren't, you know, there weren't those um, avenues to meet people with. And so I think that's changed. And then ultimately, obviously, visual effects caught up with, you know, the comic books and, um, and the appetite and support and all that stuff for creating those film and TV shows and animation that, that has just, you know, snowballed into something obviously huge. Um, but I, I don't know if I'm surprised. I certainly didn't think it would be to this extent. Yeah. Uh, but I love it. I, I love yeah, it. It's great. Love it. Love it. All right. So to all these people. All right. First question. 
I, I wanted to ask you about your run on JSA, your very long run on JSA, which got me interested in the group, and went, and I got interested back into All Star Comics. And I thought your run on it was incredibly innovative and original, and you were pulling characters from all over, plus creating some really wonderful new characters. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, and what were your favorite characters that you created? Sure. Um, there are a couple of obscure characters we brought on the team. I love the JSA. I, I um, had read like a few All-Star Squadron books when I was a kid, but it was really James Robinson's JSA, The Golden Age, which you guys should read. It's, the Golden Age is, I think, one of DC's most underrated classics. Um, it, it's, it should be right up there, in my opinion. It should be up there with Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen and all. The Golden Age is just so good. Um, Paul Smith drew it. Um, and James Robinson, who's a brilliant writer. That can't be understated. Um, but that's one of the greatest books. That made me fall in love with the Justice Society of America characters. And then Starman. And Starman when was also super influential, obviously. But when I got that book, um, we started to bring in, like, like Jakeem Thunder that Grant Morrison had created and Mr. Terrific that John Ostrander created. It had appeared a few times, but didn't have a home. Those were some of my favorite characters to write. Like, I loved... Jakeem and Star Row together were so much fun. That's why I brought him onto the show. Um, I can't tell you But I love Jakeem Thunder and the Thunderbolt. I love Mr. Terrific. Um, Our Man. I, I mean, you name the characters. Like, I, I just love them. And the new characters that we introduced throughout the run, um, from the Crimson Avenger, you know, on up, like all those, yeah, they're just, they're really fun characters. Stargirl, of course, is my favorite, uh, that's never gonna change. Um, but, uh, the JSA, to me, it felt like, DC has such a long history, and I, that's what I love about DC, is their history, their legacy, their generational aspect. And, um, without the JSA, I think, I love that the JSA is forever rooted in the beginnings of that forties. I can carry on forever. I think that's part of the wonder and, and, and hope and optimism of DC is that this legacy endures. And at the moment you cut it out, I just find the DC universe loses its soul. So I find the JSA to be the, the heartbeat of, of their late, of their legacy, their history. Um, as much as Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman are. I particularly like your extant uh, story with the various hour. That was great. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. So I have uh, one comment and one question. First comment is I grew up watching Super Friends, and when everyone wanted to be Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, I wanted to be Green Lantern. So I have a special place in my heart for Hal Jordan because of that, and when I first heard that Rebirth was happening, I don't think anyone could have been more excited than me. So thank you very much for what you did with Green Lantern. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, I always wanted to be Green Lantern too, because he was the only superhero with brown hair. And I was like, oh, there's finally one. Like, there's one superhero with brown hair. For me, I, have a huge, I still do have a huge imagination, so the thought that I can make anything just using my imagination was um, incredible. So, um, my question surprisingly has nothing to do with Green Lantern, which is uh, Three Jokers. Absolutely adore that story. Thank you. Story. Um, but it was left pretty open at the end with a very big surprise that I won't spoil for anyone. You can if you want to. Kind of curious if you plan to explore that story some more in the future. We do. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> Later. I, I, uh, I 
can't really, I mean, can't really talk about it. Okay. <laughs> talk to the strike rules. Sure. But, no, that's okay. Yeah, but no, we, we do. Jay, Jay and I, we worked on that book for a long time and um, really took great care in that book. Um, and the emotional story, I think, especially those last five pages of, um, of to us, say a lot about who Batman is. Yes. Batman's hopeful. Batman can be, like, he's there to do, to do good. Um, and he did great, great good with, um, at the end of that book. If you guys haven't read through Jokers, it's, the ending's probably, I mean, it's just probably a surprising read. It's all about trauma, by the way. It's about healing again. It's about, like, how you can heal right, like Barbara Gordon did, and how you can heal wrong, like Jason Todd did, and how you can just shut everything out, like Bruce has done forever, and then he's faced the Joe Chill, and he's gotta do it. Anyway, I won't talk about it anymore, but, but, um, Jay and I have, our story, we know what we would, would want to do. We really like the closed-ended nature through Joker, so anything we do would be similar. It would be a story, and we'd wrap it up and just make it a, a thing. But hopefully we'll get to it at some point. Cool. We'll see. Yes, hello. Um, so I am a obviously huge fan. Um, one of the very first trades I ever got was uh, Rogue's War, uh, cool. Flash, so you know, one of my all-time favorites. My question has nothing to do with that. Um, instead, my question is, in a lot of your books, um, uh, like in your team ups and stuff, I've noticed that there's a habit of like Batman showing up and then kind of being put in his place and things like Forever Evil, um, The Secret of Barry Allen, uh, I think even in like Justice League when he was like locked under the ocean, Batman had to say, Oh no, you can't rescue me, I'll be crushed to death. Uh, I was wondering if there's like any reason behind you writing Batman more like in line with his being a regular human as opposed to what I've seen a lot of, like, oh yeah, he's Batman, so he can just do whatever he wants because he's Batman. You know, any particular reason or any trend with that? Well, I think Batman, I mean, again, three, at the end of Three Jokers, I love Batman. Like, sometimes people think I don't like Batman because I, I make him human. I love Batman, but he is human. And at the end of Three Jokers, his superpower is very evident when he's, there's something that happens, I don't want to spoil it, but, um, or I'll just spoil it. Can I spoil it? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Anyway, at the end, like, Alfred's like, you know, at the very end, Alfred's like, we'll never know who the Joker is. And Batman's like, I knew who the Joker was two weeks after I met him. I'm Batman. <laughs> I, like, I just can't reveal his true name because of X, Y, and Z. And that to me is who Batman is. He's always, it's not that he's super powered and he can stop any, he can stop Godzilla if he wants to, I'm sure. But to me, he's just, He's so smart, and he's so, I think he cares so much about people. Um, and some of the time it's a wall, and sometimes it's, he thinks he's protecting other people from emotional harm, but, um, but in those moments I've ever written Batman, you know, there's one in Rebirth where Batman was the antagonist with Hal Jordan. Someone had to represent that you can't come back because of what you did, and, and, um, but in a lot of the other stories, like Forever Evil, everybody got put in their place, um, including the crime syndicate, which was so much fun to write, uh, when, like, Lex Luthor and Captain Gold and all those guys killed the crime syndicate. It was, like, super fun. Uh, David Finch drew that, by the way. He's done so He's a great artist, too. Uh, but I, I, I love Batman. I just like that he's a human. Like, Batman Earth 1 is all about making him more human, and, and I think he's better for it. Things are harder for him to do, and he survives everything. I just think that makes him even cooler. Thank you very much. We have about five minutes left, so let's do quick questions. Hi, I'm really enjoying your new uh, JSA run. Thank 
Thank you. And I was wondering if you could talk about um, why you decided to bring villains into the JSA, especially the Mist, if you can. Sure. Um, I love James Robinson drawing Starman. Um, but I think the, the, the Justice Society being a place where legacy heroes um, come on board, like we know that there's going to be like a new Hour Man, a new Doctor Midnight, a new Wildcat for, forever. But the idea that the JSA might turn their, we explored this a bit in the Stargirl show, but it might turn their sights on legacies of villains and say like maybe the sons and daughters of villains can actually be redeemed and become a force of good. It just expands the idea of society and second chances, which I think aren't, you know, the villains like exploring that the villains give and not all of them are going to succeed. I just think that's interesting storytelling. But the bigger the JSA is, the better. Like, there's a line in the new issue where the Huntress, like, someone says, Power Rising says, like, you know, or Hunter says, is there a membership limit? Like, how many people can be on the team? And it's like, no. It's like, that's cool. Like, the All-Star Squadron, I remember seeing this double-page spread of the All-Star Squadron, which is the Golden Age characters, and who's who, and there's like 70 of them. I was like, oh my god, that's a huge team. But it was cool, because the stories then could pull from all those different characters, and and I don't, like, would you really have a team where someone's like, eight people, like, we're done, sorry, we're gonna reject you. This seems so mean, you know. It's called the boys. <laughs> so, uh, speaking, of, speaking of teams where bigger is better, uh, you, you, you teased a character called the Legionnaire in the new Golden Age. And I was wondering uh, if we will see this person soon, and do you have any other plans for the Legion? as well in the new uh, You will see characters soon in the second arc of JSA um, that starts with issue 8. Um, then, uh, but I love the Legion of Superheroes. I've only, I've done two stories, Superman and Legion of Superheroes with Gary Frank and Legion of Three Worlds with the great George Perez. Um, yeah, amazing. Um, and, uh, and, and I loved, absolutely loved working with those characters. Gary and I were supposed to go to Superman and Legion as a book after that arc, but we ended up doing Batman Earth One. They asked us to go on and do Batman Earth One. We just started doing that, but Legion is a group of characters I, I've loved forever. Um, and I really fell in love with it actually, like in the Keith Giffen five year later Legionnaires by Chris Strauss stuff. Like I, that's when I got into Legion much later. And um, so did someone else. And uh, uh, but I love the Legion of Superheroes. Polar Boy, the Substitute, Sun Boy, you know, Colossal Boy, Dawn Star, Wildfire, like all the Gates, every all those characters, Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, Lightning Light. I just think they're such a wonderful group. And again, they're so they're so hopeful. They're in the future where they're inspired by Superman, and this is why. And, uh, and, and they're from all these different diverse planets that come together and you unite and to me that's the ultimate hope so i i love the legion i'd, I'd love to write them again someday thank Thanks. you very much thank you i just want to say big fan though Thanks. i just want i've been loving your new uh new golden age run on jsa and everything and my question is is i know it's like 12 issues like once at the end do you plan to work on more unnamed stuff or is there still more dc like stuff you want to do um, uh, you know, I, I'm open. I'm open to everything. Like I'm working on uh, more Geiger stuff and Red Coat with Brian Edge, a couple other things, and um, another DC thing that's not announced yet. Um, 
but we'll see. I'm open. To, I'm open to anything. It just depends how busy I am, because a lot of the stuff I do outside comics now keeps me pretty busy. All right. Thank you, sir. Yeah. We have time for one more question. No pressure. I can go fast. I'll go fast. Okay. Go fast. Okay. Uh, as you can probably tell by my socks, big fan of the reverse flesh and what you did with them. I liked them. Nice. Um, the the Donner stories that you did uh, with, with him, with Richard Donner, um, where did the idea come from for, for the two of them? Because you were centered in the Tom Mankiewicz position. Like, how, how that, like, where did the, like, you know, like, bring back Kryptonians and, and Bizarro? Like, uh, where did that come from? Just us sitting down and saying, hey, if you kept doing Superman movies, what else would you do? It's like, oh, Bizarro brand and all this stuff. So we just talked about that. Really? So he suggested those, like, you know, those are like ones he had in the chamber like, he, he really wanted to get to. Yep. Okay. Which Green Lantern story arc is your favorite to write? My favorite what? Green Lantern story arc. Oh, that I wrote? Gosh, that's a hard one. Probably Green Lantern 25, the end of Sinestro Corps War. That was my favorite show ever. I wrote that. I know we're going to go long. I'm sorry. Whoever's next, I apologize. Um, but I, I wrote that. My friend Tom Root, who's a head writer of Robot Chicken, if you guys know Robot Chicken, He's working on a script about like a leprechaun or something crazy. And I was working on Sinestro Corps and I was trying to finish the last issue and I really wanted to make this last issue work. I had written other series and like, I want the endings to be really good. So we actually flew to Vegas and we rented this um, hotel room. I forget, the Palm, I think, or something. And we had a window that overlooked like uh, Vegas. And I sat all day and would write Green Lantern 25 and he would sit over there all day and write his script. And we did that for like three nights. And then after we were done, we'd go to the craps table and roll some dice. Um, did pretty well, actually. <laughs> Thank you. What's that? Thank you. Thank you. All right. How, if at all, did the kind of radioactive origins of many Silver Age characters influence Geiger and its kind of characters? Um, I guess it did in some sense. You know, the radioactive environment in Geiger was really more influenced by uh, reflecting the, the world, the dangers of the world today in a more heightened sense. Um, and then the radioactivity just developed out of that. But somebody who felt radioactive, who couldn't get close to people, it, it was all from the internal story. And then, it, and then the, you know, the other Silver Age tropes of radioactivity, I guess, just fell on top of it. But it really didn't start with that. It started with, with the other side. Thank you. Um, I had a question about the 2000s era JSA. Um, there was this interesting point that popped up there where uh, the character um, Daniel Hall from Neil Gaiman's Sandman started making occasional appearances uh, sort of tangential to the story. Yeah. I was curious how that came about and also is it intentional that since uh, Lyda and Hector left to go live with their son in the Dreaming, we've actually never seen that incarnation of those characters again. They've just been presumably hanging out there with him. I Me, mean, I guess, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's been a while, a while now. Um, but Daniel, it's just like I think he had appeared in the first issue, and then so he just kind of appeared in JLA, and then he just appeared a couple other times. But it, there wasn't any big. I don't remember there being any big kind of plans to any of that. You know what now? Sorry, I didn't quite hear that. Oh, he just appeared a few times, but there wasn't really a big, like, he just, it's just, I think we just used him a few times for the dreaming, but he didn't appear very much. Yeah, I know, it was just an interesting point that I noticed throughout that series, and I was wondering if there was, like, a planning into that. No? Not that I recall. Okay.
Hey Jeff, uh, I saw this random Twitter post several years ago asking if there was any comic book that helped you through a tough time in your life. I never had an answer until I read Doomsday Clock. And I wanted to say, I don't really have a question, I want to take this chance to say thank you for reminding me to look at life through optimism and hope and action instead of cynicism and doubt and inaction. It helped me through a really, really tough time. It still helps me through tough times when I think about it. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That, 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 that's, that's why we wrote Doomsday Clock. It's kind of a statement about Superman, the man of action, and optimism, and hope, and and if he can change Dr. Manhattan's mind, he can, I think he can inspire all of us. Thank you very much for that. Thank that you all for coming. That's a wonderful way to end the panel. Thank so you so much. Let's thank Jeff John for being here. Okay, guys, so that was the Jeff John's panel. I hope you really enjoyed it. I love the fact that I could bring something like this to you guys. I did not get permission from Baltimore Comic Con to do this, so hopefully it was okay with them. There was I didn't see any signs or any information that said you could not record and share the session. I'm not charging for it, so it's just free and out there. If Baltimore Comic Con ever reaches out and says, like, hey, you need to take that down, I will, of course. Um, but I've done the same thing for, like, Joe Con and, uh, like I said, some other panel things that I've gone to. So hopefully if they hear this, it'll be all good. But um, if not... You know, like I said, I'll take it down. So listen to this episode while you can. <laughs> oh, it's a little late to tell you that because um, you already have. But other than that, uh, we'll let uh, end things here with the usual. Uh, the, I hope the force will be with you because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone.